This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to the Knowledge of Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge of Wharton website. Today we're going to talk about contracting, which is becoming increasingly common among American employees. Here with us are Wharton Management Professor Matthew Bidwell. Matthew, welcome. And Tracy Anderson, who just got her PhD at Wharton. Tracy, welcome. Hi, Rachel. And they're here to talk to us about their paper on the topic. So first of all, can you guys talk to us a little bit about what was the inspiration for this research? I mean, I think there were a couple of things. So I'll go first and then Tracy can chime in on this one. I mean, so I've been interested in contractors for about 20 years. I remember going to, when I was still working as a consultant, going to a presentation from somebody talking about the future of work. I think even when you go back to the late 1990s, there was a sense that contracting was our future, that the kind of old model of regular employment no longer suited the flexibility that companies wanted from their employees, or indeed that employees wanted from their careers, and this was where we were going. And so I've always been, I think since then, very intrigued by is that true? What's it like to work kind of outside the boundaries of an organization, to be outside all of the structures of regular employment? Um, and so I'd done some work um, a number of years ago looking at this in the context of IT contractors. I think, you know, we think about contracting as being very much a technical occupation and they are seen as kind of the elite contractors. So I'd spent time trying to understand who goes into contracting how do they get used? Um, and then Tracy came along with a bunch of really interesting questions about how does this actually apply when we look at managers who seem like a weird population to contract? Yeah, I mean, I guess my interest in this stems from what I used to do before um, before I did my PhD. And I used to, you know, I used to manage people who worked on projects and, and we restructured, a whole lot of people left. And then we'd have people coming in as contractors um, in a managerial position. And I was always curious to kind of what did that mean for their careers going forward? And I think that was really kind of, you know, partnered with Matthew's interest, kind of what really prompted us to, to start looking into this a little bit more. So when it comes to contractors who are in managerial roles, how are they unique among other types of people who are employed as contractors? And I think you draw the distinction between them and what you, the IT workers you mentioned before in the paper. Yeah, um, I mean, I think one of the one of the key things is when you kind of think of the the sort of the, your typical IT contractors, you think of somebody who is perhaps working on a standalone task, very independently. They can essentially do their work anywhere. Um, I think when you think about a manager, you think about somebody who is working alongside other people, who is trying to direct their work, trying to integrate the efforts of other people. So it's a, a far more interdependent role that a that a manager plays than than those people that we perhaps typically think of in in kind of contract positions. Yeah, I mean, particularly when you look at interviews that people have done with some of the more technical contractors, one of the things that often really appeals to people about contracting is the idea that I don't have to take part in all of the organizational nonsense, right? I don't need to go all to these go to all these meetings. I don't need to worry about the politics. I don't need to follow all these stupid processes just because someone wrote it down. And that's why people like to contract managers' jobs is managing all of that organizational nonsense. And so it does seem like a particular conundrum that, you know, the reason why people are contracting is to avoid doing precisely the sorts of things we expect managers to do. And so so how does all of this work? Now, we are not at the point yet where we're all bidding for jobs and we're all contractors, but are contractors as managers a relatively new phenomenon? And what's driving that? I think it's hard to know. I mean, 
one of the really curious things is, so, I mean, you started by saying contracting is growing. Um, and we've been saying that for about 20 years. We don't have very good data. So it's interesting when you look at, say, the, the um, size of the temporary help industry, that has grown exponentially. And so the number of people who are working through those temp industries, we know that's grown a lot. There have been a series of surveys that the government has done since about 1995. They did them from 95 to about 2005, I think it's so, 2005. Um, and then they stopped doing it and they did it again in 2017. And one of the really weird things in that is actually the population contractors hasn't really changed. Um, and so you see slightly fewer than 10% of the population throughout that time have been working as contractors. My sense is you know, we're probably seeing some change in the makeup of that population, so probably more highly skilled workers, um, probably a little more prominent inside organisations. It may also be that a lot of the shifts actually happened in the 1980s and early 1990s. Um, so, yes, it feels like there probably ought to be more managerial contractors. It's not clear that we have the data to be sure on that. Well, and for me, I think it was more like people in my network. I know a lot more people today who are contractors than maybe I did five years ago or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I think Matthew's right. I think it's it's difficult for us to really to really put figures on kind of, you know, what, what, it, what is changing here. Um, further research will shed more light on that. And particularly, I think, to, um, you know, one of the things that the government surveys do show us is there are a lot of contractors in management occupations. I mean, mm. when we dug into it, one of the things that we were surprised by is for all the reasons we said, contractors who are managers that seemed weird and so we're happy to believe yeah there are some out there every now and then there are companies that need something special there are people who have different views but no this shouldn't look like you know some of the archetypal it and so on but actually it does look one of the things we we're surprised that when you look at um, management the rate of contracting is not that much lower than it is um, in a lot of other occupations so you do see one of the issues you see contractors kind of across the spectrum of occupations now, I think one of the connotations when we think of the word manager is often that they manage people. Was that always the case or was this a different sort of definition for the word? Um, so, so, I mean, so we saw a mixture of, of types of work that these, these contractors undertook. Um, I think, um, you know, if you think about what a manager does, um, you know, they do, they do a number of tasks. One of them is, is kind of direct, you know, directly managing individuals, but they also, you know, they plan, they coordinate. And so, you know, we did find that there were some contractors that did directly manage people but for a lot of them they were much more focused on the kind of the uh, the kind of planning and the sort of coordination side of things rather than that kind of having line management responsibility for employees within within the organizations they were working now can you talk a little bit about how you studied this topic and also some of the key questions that you were trying to answer when you talked to these contractors so we we did a couple of things so about eight years ago now um a colleague ethan mollick and i did a survey of um, the Wharton MBA alumni, where really we asked them about all of the roles that they had held since they graduated. Um, I also, we learned a lot of things, perhaps most importantly, that when you spam 30,000 of your alumni with an unreasonably long survey, you get a lot of hate mail. But we also, we also learned a lot about all of the things that they had been doing. And some of the questions, you know, given my prior work, some of the questions had been about were they rec working as regular employees or as contractors, self-employed, those sorts of things. And so we were able to use that to 
look in quite a lot of detail about how, what they're doing, um, and the outcomes for people who are in contracting look different from, um, from regular employment, and then to supplement that. And I mean, I think these questions that kind of you were raising earlier about, yes, but what does somebody actually do? We, we had questions in the survey about how many people are you managing, but there is this question where if you're not managing people, what are you doing? And so in order to address that, Tracy went out and um, interviewed um, a series of people who had worked or were working in contracting mm -hmm. to try and get a much more detailed account. You know, why were they doing this? What did they do day to day? How did it differ from what they had done before? What do they see as strengths and weaknesses and so on? And what, when you went out and actually did that and even mm -hmm. looked at the survey data, what were some of the through lines that you found, some things that were the key challenges for people, the key benefits, and why they were doing it? Let me, let me talk a little bit about the, um, the reasons they went into it first. Um, so I think one of the things that, that came through in, you know, in the interviews definitely was you know, a lot of these people had had very standard kind of managerial roles as, as employees before they entered contracting, had been responsible for you know, directly, you know, had di direct reports, had been traveling, had been on call all the time to deal with whatever emergency, emergency was happening. And for a lot of them, they wanted to... They wanted to gain control over their kind of um, of their work life again, um, and so for a number of people, they were interested in in kind of having you know greater. Um ability to kind of draw a line in the sand and say this is my time and this is not work time anymore. Um, so that was definitely one of the things that was that was driving people, um, the people I spoke to, to, to think more about um, more about contracting. Um, the types of work they were doing, um, because they were keen to kind of remove themselves from some of these aspects that we typically associate with the managerial role, it meant that these people were taking on more, more sort of bounded um, roles um, as, as contractors. Um, so they might not be you know, managing people directly, um, but they might be um, involved in kind of coordinating activities across the organisation, um, involved in kind of the um, strategic planning for, for various um, aspects of the business going forward and things like that. Um, so they were, you know, they were, they were only really, you know, the roles that they were performing were definitely a kind of subset of what perhaps what we might think of as a typical um, managerial role that an employee might, um, might undertake. Now, it sounded like from looking at some of the results in the paper that, on the one hand, they did benefit from being kind of away from that office politics and away from maybe the day-to-day -day things that can sometimes get tedious. But yeah. on the other hand, they talked a little bit about some of the challenges of not really being there or maybe knowing all the players in a particular situation. So could you talk to us about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the one of the things, I mean, I think this, this also speaks to kind of one of the reasons why we kind of found it so interesting that there were people who were working as contractors, as managers, um, to start off with, is, you know, the people that are, you know, working as contractors, they don't necessarily have a history with that organisation. They don't have the kind of the social network within that organisation. So, you know, in terms of the influence that they can have, they've got a much um, more restricted toolbox on, on which to draw. So I think that was definitely one of the things that came out, that people didn't feel like they had the influence in the organisation that they perhaps would have done if they had a permanent, you know, long-term position there. Um, I think part some of it is, is kind of the, just the, the practical knowledge of well as well in terms of if I need to get something done, who do I go to within the organisation? And they didn't always have that knowledge, that knowledge to draw upon. Now, it also seems that you also found when talking to these people, there was kind of maybe this tension between 
the impact, maybe a positive impact that it had on work-life balance, but then there was also a flip side in how it impacted how much they got paid. So we should talk a little about that. Yeah, I mean, and that I think came out probably most strongly in the, um, just from the survey results. When we started just analyzing some of the data, the thing that leaps out is that um, the people who were working as contractors were earning, you know, I think of the order of about 20 to 30% less if you look at kind of the absolute numbers compared to the people who are working as um, regular employees. And that that surprised us initially. Again, having looked at contracting in some of these other high-skilled occupations, particularly IT, often in IT, contracting is seen as a way to make more money. That, you know, if I'm constrained by the company's pay scales and I can't really negotiate my own pay, then I'm not doing so well. Whereas if I work for myself and get to pick and choose my clients, then I can kind of really capture the value of what I'm doing. Certainly when we looked in the past at IT contractors, we found no evidence that they were being paid less. Um, that replicates, actually, we looked at some of the government surveys. We find generally contractors make about the same as regular employees. When you look at managerial contractors, they're making less. Um, and so it does, there is kind of a very stark difference there. And I think it, you know, it speaks to the the flip side of, of what Tracy was talking about, which is, yes, you get to take yourself out of the organization. You get a great deal more control, but you have to give something up in order to do that. And so the big trade-off seems to be, you know, when I am a member of the organization, I'm able to be in roles that potentially have more impact. I'm able to be in roles where I'm managing people, where I'm kind of seen as more central and people will value and reward me for that. If I want to create that distance for whatever reasons, it seems that employers aren't prepared to pay quite as much for that. Now, what impact did you see? I know a lot of these contractors that you talked to, I think they said that they were contracting for sort of a finite period of time that they came in to work on a particular thing and then they left. But for them, and then even for people who did it for a longer period of time, what impact did you see that, that having that role on their resume, that it was a contracting role, what impact did that have as they went further in their careers, as they were applying for different jobs or maybe trying to go back into a non-contracting role? So what we saw was that people who had been contractors were earning less than people who looked very similar but had not been contractors. It, you know, it's very hard to know how much of that is kind of a stigma that it's seen on the resume as not serious. In our interviews, you know, people did talk about employers find it very hard to pass what you're doing. Um, there is a concern that you, know, you put that you are contracting does that basically mean you are staying at home to look after your kids and, you know, working one or two hours a week? Do you basically put it there really to more or less cover up a spell of unemployment? Or were you working 60 hours a week on a variety of exciting projects? And it's very hard for people to tell the difference. And so they had a sense that you know, employers and recruiters tended just to breeze through that and not take it very seriously and more interested in your regular employment experiences you know it is also possible though that, that some of the what we this kind of pay penalty to having contracted may also just reflect the fact that you know the same reasons that took people out of regular employment into contracting may also be shaping the kind of roles that they go back to next so even when they do go back into regular employment it may be into roles that are themselves a little more bounded a little less central to the organization and a little, a little less rewarded for those reasons. It is possible that also that since they were being paid less in that previous role that was the contracting role, that maybe that that just made it harder to command that much more when they went back 
it certainly doesn't boost your bargaining power in that next role. Now, what would your advice be? Are you able to draw any advice here for other job seekers, for other people out there in the working world who may be considering jobs as contractors or maybe they have this on their resume and they're trying to think of how to present themselves? Do you have any advice for them? I certainly wouldn't panic. Um, you know, I think it's... Um, That's good advice. I, yeah, let's be clear. I mean, a lot of people... I don't think anybody that we spoke to seemed to regret having spent time as a contractor. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't want to come away thinking, wow, this is, this is a terrible thing. You know, people got tremendous benefits out of it. They love the freedom to pick and choose. Um, you know, I do think... Because employers have, because it's less clear on the face of it what you were doing when you were contracting. I think if you were contracting and, and you see this as an integral part of your skills base, an integral part of your resume, then I do think going to greater lengths to really spell out what you did as a contractor, what your major achievements are, and to really emphasize that this was, if it was kind of, you know, what you see as kind of a a serious role where you develop new skills and really demonstrate achievements, being very clear about what those are because employers won't, on the face of it, automatically see that in the same way that, you know, a certain job title in an organisation carries much clearer connotations. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, that, I think that's fair. And I think that's um, definitely what, what came through in the interviews when I spoke to people about when they looked for work after contracting. Um, they felt that they needed to go into more detail um, to make it you know, to kind of justify what they had done um, and, and make sure that it was clear that it wasn't just a kind of filler on their resume. It's probably worth um, emphasising as well that, you know, this title of contracting covers a multitude of things. And so some of the contractors mm. that we spoke to were, um, were really taking on small projects here and there organised around their life. Um, other contractors basically worked for one employer full-time for, um, you know, a substantial chunk of time. You often see in organisations people taking contracting roles just because this is a job for which there isn't currently headcount, but they need it done, they have mm -hmm. budget to do it. So they're going to bring you in as a contractor, maybe in a project management role, and the role is really no different from, um, from a regular employee. And so I think also kind of being reasonably clear about why you contracted and, and what you got out of it, mm. I think is important. Well, it seems like, at least for based on what you saw from some of these people, that contracting was a good fit when they were sort of had some other things going on maybe in their personal lives, like in terms of trying to achieve that work-life balance that maybe is harder to do with a full-time gig. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that yeah. was a very strong theme that came out yeah. of a lot of our interviews. Yeah. I mean, again, not everybody. For some people as well, I think the broader issues of control um, – for some people, moving to a new location, it was a way to kind of break into the labour mm. market. So, so you see quite a lot of things that people were doing. But there were definitely people who, who entered it perhaps for that reason, but then realised that actually that was, they, did, they had no intentions of going back to, to regular employment. They, they, were, they, were, they you know, That worked for them and that was how they wanted to, to kind of keep their employment arrangements in the, in the longer term. So even though we don't know, I mean, there's not great data about how much contracting is growing, and it looks like it may be from the data we have that it's not growing tremendously. Do you feel like the stigma around it might be changing at all, that maybe people may have to do less of this explaining in the future just because at least the gig economy at least seems to be rising a lot and it seems to be more common that people have two, three, four 
things they're stringing together. Yes, I mean, certainly. And in a lot of areas, obviously, there's there's no stigma. I mean, again, kind of coming back to these um, these IT contractors, you know, if you're a high-end IT contractor, you know, being this kind of gun for hire to come and solve the hardest problems, in many ways, that can be, be a good thing. So, yes, I do think we are... There's a wide variety of different um, employment relationships these days, and hopefully we see more and more focus on, yes, what did you do, what what did you learn, what do you know, rather than kind of what's the, what's the specific legal arrangement under which you're employed. And what's next for this research? Tracy's working mm-hmm. on some other... Um, on some other stuff around managerial contractors. So. Yeah, so I've got, uh, uh, there's another project that I'm working on with Peter Capelli where we're looking at managerial contractors and, and just, you know, addressing some of those questions of, you know, working in an organisation, a managerial position where you haven't got the kind of social networks and the reputation to draw upon to, to influence people. How do you how do you get things done under, under those circumstances? And so that's a piece of work that we've been doing where, it, you know, it, I've been interviewing people who've been in these roles and trying to understand what they draw upon in terms of trying to influence other people, employees within the organisation to do to do their bidding, if you like. Um, and really, you know, the things that stand out for that piece of work is really one of the things that they are trying to leverage is exactly this, their skills and the fact that they might have skills that other people in the organisation don't have and that if an employee works alongside them then they get access to to learn from this this outsider um, and develop skills that they might not if they were working alongside an employee who, you know, a manager, a manager who is an employee of the organisation. And I guess the other thing that they're also trying to leverage is their, is their independence, the very fact that they're not part of the organisation and they're not part of the policy Politics. And so they're not they're not trying to, you know, empire build. They're not trying to play games. They just want to get the job done. And, and I think they try to leverage that in terms of, look, you can take what I'm saying at face value. Um, and so I think that, that, that that's something else that they try to leverage. Matthew and Tracy, thanks so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's articles, podcasts, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your other favorite podcasting app. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or a review. It really does help like-minded folks to find the show. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.